0: Good morning, I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, August 11th. In today's news, we may find out Joe Biden's running mate later today. The pandemic reshapes American spending patterns, and Lebanon's prime minister resigns as the leader of Belarus's opposition flees to Lithuania. But first, the big idea. Russian President Vladimir Putin announced while you were sleeping that his country has become the first to approve a coronavirus vaccine developed by the Gamaleya Institute in Moscow, with production and tens of thousands of inoculations to follow. Putin even said his own daughter has already been inoculated and is doing well. Kremlin officials have pledged to vaccinate millions, including teachers and frontline healthcare workers, with the experimental vaccine starting this month. Now, this is raising global alarm bells that the Russians are jumping dangerously ahead of critical large-scale testing that is essential to determine if this is safe and effective. Russian officials have said a second vaccine from the State Research Center in Siberia is not far behind. The first vaccine is going to be called Sputnik, a reference to the first orbital satellite which was launched by the Soviets and started the Great Cold War space race, which we ultimately won. These shots could be quite harmful. In fact, they could make people sicker. They could even infect them with COVID. Or they could give people a false sense of security about their immunity. China has already authorized one vaccine for use in its military, ahead of definitive data showing that it's safe or effective. The leading Russian vaccine candidate has so far only been tested in small, early clinical trials designed to find the right dosage level and to assess large-scale safety concerns. The vaccine was first given to the very scientists who developed it. This kind of self-experimentation has become highly unusual in modern science. The Russians also forced 50 members of their military to take it. The World Health Organization says the vaccine is not as far along as the Russians say. On their list, it's still considered being in phase one. Meanwhile, The contagion continues to kill. The global count of confirmed COVID cases surpassed 20 million overnight. Worryingly, that number represents double the infections that had been reported as recently as late June. After the first cases were found in China in December, it took roughly six months for the worldwide count to reach 10 million. The next 10 million cases took only six weeks. The world health organization says the global death toll will surpass 750,000 this week for his part. Here in America, President Trump's new focus to control the virus is on blocking U.S. citizens and legal residents from entering our country. White House officials have been circulating a draft proposal that would give U.S. border authorities the extraordinary ability to block U.S. citizens and permanent residents from entering the country from Mexico, not other countries, if they're suspected of being infected with the virus. It's unclear whether the Trump administration has the legal authority to block citizens from returning to their own country, but one official says the administration is weighing a public health emergency declaration that would let the White House keep out potentially infected Americans. Medical experts have been warning the administration that this restriction would make little if no difference in controlling the pandemic because widespread community transmission already is occurring in the United States. And in fact, our outbreak is the world's worst, worse than Mexico's. We have more than 5 million confirmed cases. This and other factors make for sharp dissent within the Trump administration about the plan to keep sick Americans from traveling back into the country. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this Tuesday. Number one, supporters favoring a black woman as Joe Biden's running mate made a final push before his impending announcement. More than 100 prominent Black men released a strongly worded open letter on Monday warning Biden that not picking an African-American woman could cost him the election. The signatories of that letter included rapper Sean Diddy Combs' radio show host Charlemagne the God, Cedric the Entertainer, TV personality Van Jones, Bishop William Barber, and civil rights attorney Ben Crump, among others. The letter followed a similar public statement from more than 700 Black women leaders on Friday who were also trying to box Biden in. And challenged the quote, "relentless attacks on black women and our leadership abilities that have accompanied the running mate search. Now, the two black women that Biden has been most seriously considering in the home stretch are Senator Kamala Harris from California, who's been widely considered the frontrunner for weeks now, and former UN ambassador under Barack Obama, Susan Rice. Biden also spoke directly with Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who is white earlier this month. She traveled to Delaware. Other in-person interviews have stayed secret. Now, there's a widespread expectation that we'll find out Biden's VP pick at some point later today or tomorrow. The presumptive Democratic nominee has been holed up at his vacation house in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, making up his mind. Annie Linsky has been staking out Biden's $2.7 million vacation home, watching him come and go for bike rides and to attend mass. Three black Suburbans were parked out front yesterday. Dolphins spring out of the water in the early morning as the day warms, beachgoers take their place in the waves. And for those lying on the shore, there's a small plane flying down the coast with a banner advertising Shark Week. A few months after buying the property in 2017, the Bidens spent about $44,000 putting in a pool. Biden hasn't been strolling down Rehoboth's famous mile-long boardwalk, but if he did, he'd find that the political merch in beach-adjacent shops is largely pro-Trump. Teenage girls were seen this weekend interrupting their sunbathing to write Trump 2020 in the sand. And for his part, President Trump said yesterday that he plans to deliver his Republican convention acceptance speech the Thursday after next, either from the White House or Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Number two. The consumer goods maker Church and Dwight expanded manufacturing capacity to produce more arm-and-hammer laundry detergent To keep up with surging demand during the pandemic. But the company announced this week that sales of its Trojan brand condoms have slumped big time in an extreme example of social distancing. Albertsons, the nation's second largest supermarket chain, reported that same-store sales leaped by more than 26% compared with the same period last year. The rise of some companies and the fall of others comes as our economy struggles to recover from the record 9.5% quarterly contraction in economic activity during the spring. Investors are struggling to distinguish between fleeting and permanent changes. Already, clothiers specializing in attire for offices that people no longer frequent, such as Brooks Brothers, are sliding into bankruptcy while producers of more casual garb like Lululemon prosper. In the days ahead, Americans may leave the cities in greater numbers for suburbs and rural areas, denting prospects for commercial real estate and boosting the residential market. Cashless payments could finally eclipse traditional currency. Not all of the changes have solidified, but the emerging new normal will mean less money spent on air travel and more stay-at-home comforts, which explains the disappointing earning reports from commercial airline maker Boeing and engine manufacturer General Electric. And Uber announced yesterday that the number of rides booked on its platform, plummeted 75% in April, May, and June compared to the prior year, and they said they're not sure when customers will return. Lyft had previously said its April ridership was down 75% year over year. A judge in California, though, ruled on Monday that the two ride-sharing companies must make their drivers in that state full-time employees. The companies plan to appeal to a higher court, warning that this would upend their entire business model. Number three. The opposition candidate in the Belarus presidential election was exiled to Lithuania as violent clashes between protesters and security forces broke out for a second night in Minsk over the disputed election results. The main opposition candidate, Svetlana Tikhaneshiva, fled the country, but not from her own desire to. Authoritarian President Alexander Lukashenko has cracked down on demonstrators with stun grenades, rubber bullets, and tear gas after what domestic critics and other countries and international observers have called a clearly fraudulent outcome that showed him winning more than 80% of the vote. The opposition campaign leaders said that they agreed to leave Belarus as part of a deal with authorities to free Takana Shavga's campaign manager, Maria Moroz, who was detained on the eve of Sunday's election. The two women are now trying to decide what to do next. And in Lebanon, the prime minister announced that he will step down amid large protests following last week's deadly blast. In a televised address, Prime Minister Hassan Diab said a level of corruption, quote, bigger than the state, precipitated the events that led to the blast, which erupted in the warehouse that contained 2,750 metric tons of ammonium nitrate that had been stored there for years, despite repeated warnings it was unsafe. In a reference to the country's ruling elite, he said that only God knows how many catastrophes they're still hiding. He concluded his speech by saying, quote, May Allah protect Lebanon. But Diab and his cabinet will stay on in a caretaker capacity until a new government is formed, which could require months of political wrangling. As he announced his resignation, there was little celebration among demonstrators in Beirut's Martyrs Square, the central convening spot for the protests. People thronged the downtown streets for a third day as security forces used tear gas to push them back. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, August 11th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.